Welcome to What's a Revolution, a place for men and the people who love them, where we dialogue about how men can understand and embrace the healthiest versions of themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corprew. My, my family decided when I was a very young that it was best for me to develop in a multicultural neighborhood. Thus, they chose to integrate themselves into the Green Run section of Virginia Beach, Virginia. Growing up, my three closest friends were Robbie Gray, James Harris, and Neil Katz. Robbie looked like James Evans Jr.'s offspring. <laughs> That's JJ for my Good Times fans. He lived at the angle from my house. Neil was Jewish, somewhat portly, but kept up with us wherever we went. James was white and was the athlete of the bunch. From a young age, he was groomed to be a baseball star. But we were inseparable. I spent a lot of time at their houses learning about their various cultures. Robbie's mom gave me my first black history lessons. Neil's father taught us about business and Jewish traditions. James's mother and father showed us unconditional love. It was James's father that pushed me to play baseball, a passion that I still have today. I learned so much from them, things about race and culture that helped to shape who I am and who I would become. As I continue to find the healthiest version of myself, the lessons taught to me at an early age still resonate. Love with your heart, find the best in people, and open your mind to people and places who may not look or act like you. To uplift this topic today, my brother's keeper, Revisited, I'm joined by two of my good friends, Dr. Earl Benjamin, principal at the Bach Consulting Group, and Micah Fincher, super, superstar attorney at Jones Walker Law Firm here in New Orleans. What's up, friends? How y'all doing? We're doing good. Thanks for having us. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. So, um, you know, it's been a little while since I've been on the radio. Two weeks I was in Europe for the last couple of weeks, so I haven't been able to say this. My favorite, you know, my favorite line of every week. So we're going to start with Earl. Okay. What's your revolution, brother? My revolution is to live my truth and to help other people live their truth. And that's, mm. I mean, that's it, more or less. Live your truth. So, you know, I want to unpack that a little bit. What, what is your truth? What is that? My truth is that I'm a... Uh, black gay man in a same gender loving relationship uh, and helping others to uh, live their truth I think it's important that because um, many of us come to the table with a lot of stuff mm. and so and that stuff doesn't allow us to see ourselves uh, the way we need to be seen or to experience ourselves the way that we need to be experienced so my uh, I believe my point in life is to help people to understand their truth uh, help them to get to that point where they accept themselves and are okay with themselves, whatever that truth is. That's a beautiful thing. We Too often we don't allow ourselves to sit in our truth and understand, like you said, we, we bring a lot to the table. We bring, and I can't say what I want to say on, on the radio, <laughs> but we bring our uh, uh, sugar, honey, iced tea to the, you know, mm -hmm. to the table. And if we don't accept our truth, we can't actually grow. Right. And, and sitting in our truth means that we understand that this is who I am, mm -hmm. but I can move forward. Right, right. But sometimes if we don't see that, right. we can't it, move forward. It doesn't also allow us to be authentic exactly. to ourselves, and it doesn't allow us to have authentic relationships. Mm. Getting to the point that we're 
the discussions that we're going to have today. Right. So if you aren't able to be your authentic self, you can't be authentic to people, and you can't have authentic relationships. And so, I mean, that's something that is, is very important to me. No doubt, no doubt. One of the people I know who sits in their truth is our good friend, Dr. Samantha Francois. Yes, she does. <laughs> yes, she does. If you are listening to my sister, I love you very much. She taught me a long time. I remember when I first met her, she was sitting in her truth, and I was like, whoa, whoa, all right, we're going to... We're we going to have a time together. But she is my sister, and I love her. And I love my godson, her her only yes. child, uh, Sean. Sean Solomon Francois yes. Brown is my man, is my man. So I got my good man, Micah Fincher, on the side with me. Micah, what's your revolution, brother? Um, well, thanks for having me on, and uh, welcome back to America. <laughs> welcome home. Thank you. Uh, if, you know, I was reflecting on this, and I would say just two things. One is, uh, for me per- personally, um, it kind of comes down to self-esteem and having a service mentality, and, and just playing off of you know what uh, Michael was just mentioning. Earl, Earl. I'm sorry, Earl. <laughs> Earl. Michael is his, is his beautiful husband. Okay, got it. Um, just what Earl was talking about when you're talking about truth and, and who you are, embracing who you are. I think it's important that we, um, on the one hand, be humble about our experiences and understand that. Um, we have something to learn from everybody, um, but also uh, be comfortable in our own skin and mm-hmm. find that self-esteem, find that place where you can be proud to be who you are mm-hmm. and uh, bring that to those relationships. Mm-hmm. One thing about you, Micah, and, and one thing that I applaud and love about our friendship and um, just a little bit of a background, Mike and I met each other when we uh, were uh, on the women's issues team of the Emerging Philanthropists of New Orleans, the class of 2015. Correct. Wow, it's been two years. That's that's crazy. Um, Mike and I were the only men on the team, and we ha- we worked with some amazing women in uh, really listening and hearing about some of the issues that women are going through here in New Orleans, and we were able actually to fund one of the organizations that Micah is actually very passionate and very strong, and that's STAR. But the point that I want to make is that Micah – I always see that your revolution is, like you said, it's service. You know, as we talked last night at dinner, you serve. You, you're, you're on various boards. You believe passionately about STAR. You be passionately about the work that you do. And I see the, I, I see your revolution playing out in the service that you do throughout the city. Because you could sit and be a lawyer at Jones Walker, you know, and for, you know, the people around the world. Jones Walker is one of the most prominent law firms here in New Orleans and actually around the country. Um, and so you could sit in that space and sit in that truth and be – an attorney at Jones Walker and and do your thing, but that's just not who you are, and that d- doesn't just define you. Well, I appreciate that. Um, just to let y'all, your listeners know what STAR is, it stands for Sexual Trauma Awareness and Response, and it's out there um, off of Canal Street near the University Medical Center, and they provide services to survivors of, of sexual assault, and uh, you can visit their website at star.ngo. <laughs> there so you go. Got to give them the shout-out. There you go. There you go. Uh, and we were very happy, you know, um, to work together on Edna, but we've actually developed a, a really good friendship, and, and, and one of the things is that it allowed us to build a community, and Mike and I have spent time. We have dinner once a month uh, with our good friend Kelly, uh, who is also on the Women's Issues team, and we make a point to get together to talk about things that are going on in our lives, to talk about things that may be going on at Epno, things that we're passionate about. So it was a wonderful connection that we were able to build through that. Uh, but as we move through this today, I want to get to this topic of the importance of having cross-racial and cross-cultural friendships and relationships and how important for that is as men 
find the healthiest versions of ourselves. But I want to I want to delve back a little bit and get my listeners to understand who you are. But in doing that, I want you to talk about where you grew up. Okay. All right. Where did you grow up? What was your neighborhood like? And who were the people involved in this neighborhood? Um, before I uh, share that, I just want to say I have a few more activities to complete before I am Dr. Benjamin. Uh, but uh, it will be coming soon, August well, the 18th. Well, but you, thank you so much. Hey, uh-uh, uh-uh. You are Dr. <laughs> Benjamin right now to me. I know the trolls, trials, and fire, and tribulations that you have to If it's this close. This you got, year has been a, it, a rough year. Exactly. Year no, so congratulations year. to you on, on finishing. <laughs> so I am from a little village called Monolith. Monolith is in uh, North Louisiana. Uh, it's located in, it's actually located uh, in um, a town called Ruston, but it's so close to a town called Grambling, and Grambling is a black town. It has Grambling State University there. The individuals that live in Mount Olive identify with Grambling, and so we, I am a Gramlingite. Even though I didn't go to Grambling State University, I still am from, I consider myself from the town of Grambling. Okay. And so I come from that little village. Uh, it's uh, probably in that village, there were probably like 500 people uh, at most of us, a lot of us were related to one another. Our neighbors lived one mile up the street or a few miles up the street. Uh, we grew up playing with each other. Um, we grew up uh, in a uh, community where when I would go to my friend's house, house, if they still had chores to do and I wanted to play with them, my brother and I would help them do their chores. Nice, nice. So I come from that small town cr- country life. And uh, when I hope to have children one day, I would... I would love to take them back there and live that life. That's not going to happen, though. <laughs> but uh, I come from a little small-town country life where right. easy was uh, living. I mean, life was uh, easy. Uh, I thought it was easy. Uh, I didn't know that I was necessarily uh, poor uh, or working poor. Uh, but, I mean, I just come from a small town uh, called Manalith, and I, I cherish those memories uh, growing up um, with my parents and my sisters and brothers. There were five of us. Um, and um, it was it was. It was a good life. You know, I think about this. Growing up in the suburbs of Virginia, my grandmother is from a small uh, was from a small county, Terrell County in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and I would go down there and spend the summers with her. And man, I was like, man, what do y'all do down here? Everything, <laughs> everything. <laughs> what do y'all do? I mean, we were we were throwing the stick because yes. we, we, we didn't have a ball. Everything. You were, or if you had a ball, you were playing football by yourself. Yes. Some, but you, you're right; it was this easy living, you know, good. Um, so you said the makeup of the town was predominantly African American. Yes, it was an African American town. Gotcha. The little yeah. village. Yeah. Um, so were there any white Hispanic people that? No, I think there were, um, as I stated earlier, uh, Gram- the village is really in the town of Ruston. Ruston is probably like 50% white, 50% black, but its identity is white. And so there were individuals in the Mount Olive area, white individuals that live way out on the outskirts, probably in the areas we consider to be Ruston. Right. So we didn't necessarily interact with them a lot. But even our, even they, as neighbors, were nice. I mean, it was a... It was a, a nice place to grow up. Right. Did y'all get a chance to play together? Did you? No, we didn't. I didn't interact with um, people from other races until I went to school. Okay. Uh, one thing that my mother, I can remember my mother saying this uh, growing up, it was important because a lot of the individuals that lived in Grambling, they went to, Grambling also had a high school and mm-hmm. it had a middle school. Right. And uh, many of the individuals who uh, lived in Grambling, they work at the university. And so there was a lot of pride in sending your kids uh, to those schools, and I and I respect and honor that. My mother thought um, 
and just to give you a little background on my mother, my mother learns learns differently. She had learning difficulties okay. growing up, but I think she was the smartest woman in the world because one of the things that she uh, charged me with and our, our, all my sister and brothers with was the need to be surrounded by a diverse group of individuals mm, exactly you don't operate and live in a world just of one kind of people and so we went we didn't go to Gremlin uh, high school uh, we went to our Gremlin middle school we went to Ruston high where uh, it was a diverse uh, population gotcha. now that doesn't mean that it was uh, easy and peachy there's still places in Louisiana, Louisiana still, yeah, is very conservative exactly. Uh, there, there was a lot of racism that uh, was alive and well, and I'm certain that it's still racism is alive and well there today. But I will have to say that my mother's uh, decision to place us in an environment where we had diverse group of individuals uh, working and learning together was probably the best thing for me. Right, right. And I'm always going to give a shout out to my high school, Green Run High School in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Who uh, you know basically shaped my worldview very yes. early, mm-hmm. very early. You're listening to WBOK 12:30 a.m. This is the What's Your Revolution show. I'm your host, Dr. Charles Corpru. You know, beginning our conversation about the importance of cross-racial and cross-cultural relationships and friendships and how it helps us to be the healthiest versions of ourselves. Micah, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, and 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 really in in the the midst of where you grew up and who you played with as a child and, and as an adolescent. Sure. Um, so originally, in the beginning, uh, <laughs> I, there was the sun. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, originally from uh, New Orleans East, and so um, you know we, we lived out on Reed and then Bullard, uh, which a lot of folks uh, listening to this probably you know are familiar with, and uh, we went to a, a mixed race church. Um, and we lived in a mixed race neighborhood, um, and so it was very. It's just it was you know, playing with um, people of, of different backgrounds or races was was not uncommon. Um, the church that we went to was majority white, but um, you know they had all all races there. My my mother um, and her grandmother were from um, actually born in El Salvador, mm-hmm. and so they. Um, my mother grew up in New Orleans. She came here as a child, um, but so yeah, Latino influences uh, mm-hmm. out there as well. Uh, but my parents got divorced as they. they I'm you know, sorry to hear that. That's okay. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Uh, and eventually, I ended up on the North Shore for junior high and high school. And so the, a change. It's a big wow, change. That's a big change. It's a big change. Uh, and um, so on the North Shore. Um, I was in the like in an honors gifted program, and you know there was uh, one black girl in my school in junior high, but she ended up going to a different high school than I did, um, high school where they had a, a much larger African American population than what we had, and so I literally went through high school in virtually all of my honors classes. There were no black people in any of my classes, right? So it was, it was a big change. Interesting, but you ended up, you know, going to LSU. Yes. Yeah, going and which is probably one of the more diverse schools in the state. Um, just, you know, sheer numbers. I mean, it's a state school, you know. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about last night, um, with tops and different, a lot of people can go to LSU, a variety of people. Um, so interesting, diverse backgrounds, you know, uh, and how we can shift. The, the shifting neighborhood also changes uh, our landscape and may change our mindset going from New Orleans East to the North Shore. Um, going from Grambling to Ruston mm-hmm. and how that impacted 
you know, so let's unpack that a little bit more. Did those shifts impact how you, your worldview, because particularly during adolescence, those are very key periods for us. Um, how did your worldview change going into those spaces? You going to Mandeville, I mean, uh, was it the North? Slidell. Slidell. Um, and you going to Rusty. Did your worldview change at all? It, mine did. Um, I grew up in a town that was largely African, a village that was largely African American, and Grambling is a town. Well, it was all African American, and Grambling is a town that's all African American. And so, all I was, un, un, unless we went to Ruston, we were just surrounded by African Americans. Uh, but going to um, Ruston uh, to get my uh, kindergarten and uh, middle school and high school education. It did shape and change my worldview, or it enhanced my worldview, okay. uh, because uh, I did not experience some of the angst in life uh, that I uh, uh, I would not have experienced many of the angst in life had I not gone to those places, and that those angsts helped shape me and who mm-hmm. I am today. My first school teacher. Um, well, my second school teacher that I had was a white lady, uh, Miss Summer. I would never, ever forgive her. <laughs> and she was my kindergarten teacher. And she really shaped my world view of how white people could be. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, coming up in the, the, the environment that we come up in, I had all of these experiences um, when we would visit at Ruston, or I had my parents' experiences, what, and, and they, they would tell on. about what right. had happened mm-hmm. to them, or my grandmother's experiences. And so here I have my kindergarten teacher, who was one of the most loving individuals that um, I had ever met, and who also helped empower my mother's voice to be an advocate for her mm. children. Because again, as I stated earlier, my mother had, she learned differently. And so she was very much aware of that. And so she was guarded a little bit when she would interact inside the educational system. She would she would not own the situation like she probably should have, mm. but my, my, my Miss Summer, I helped to empower her and, and to help grow her. So that was my initial uh, experience with an individual outside my race. Um, that countered what I the narrative that I had mm, been seeing right, from happening right. to my parents and my grandmothers and my parents' experiences. Uh, but as I grew up and got older, those uh, individuals of uh, those individuals like Miss Samora were very far from mm, you. Right. And so I can recall a situation when I was in. I wasn't a bad kid. I was I was very opinionated, <laughs> uh, and so my mouth got me in trouble a lot. And I could I will never ever forget this. It was a principal at uh, my middle school. I think it must have been I must have been like in fourth grade, and I had gotten in trouble. Um, and uh, the teacher had sent me to the office, and the teacher that sent me to the office had previously. Uh, I was upset with her because she had accused me of stealing money because I just happened to come to school that day with change in my pocket, and right. she just accused me. And so I was probably upset with her, and I, uh, so I was taking it out on her. And so she sent me to the principal's office, and I will never forget it. The principal, and I won't name his name, uh, but he said, and I can remember, I was a very inquisitive child, and I remembered everything, and I remember him saying, if an alien came to the earth alien. and he always saw black little boys or black people coming to the principal's office, what would he think? And as a child, since I was so... Uh, inquisitive. I knew that he shouldn't be saying this right, to me, right. but I didn't really understand what he was trying to say, but I never forgot that. And so my life inside uh, Ruston, particularly the high school, my, my schooling has, is shaped by many experiences mm-hmm. like that that took place. But there were also other experiences where individuals outside my African-American experience helped 
give me hope right. and to understand that despite these these systems and individuals <laughs> that work inside these systems saying and doing these things to me, there are still those individuals who see me as a complete mm. and whole individual and not just some black person. And so uh, it, that today has made me the, the well-rounded person that I am in being able to see people completely and to understand the importance of valuing people and and not and necessarily right, right and not necessarily not necessarily coming to the table with these preconceived uh, ideas and thoughts, but trying to let people show me so themselves you, yeah, exactly. before I come to the table with my own values, attitudes, and beliefs. So my my upbringing in the educational system in that Ruston, Louisiana area, it really helped to shape me at, to be the individual that I am today. Right. Uh, there were some negative things that happened. There were some positive things that happened. But ultimately, those experiences better prepared me for the life that I have today. Right. And shout out to the educational system because we see the power of teachers. Yes. We, we see the power yes. of perception and there's a, a tremendous amount of research out there that, that talks about positive perception of yes. teacher support and what that does for everyone right. uh, and particularly for young men of color uh, as they navigate the educational space. Mm -hmm. um, and so you think about, you know, I, I can go through Mr. Joyner, Ms. Peters, um, you know, my second grade teacher, uh, Ms. Cunningham, uh, these, you know, Ms. Tucker, my, all these people had an influence mm -hmm. that shaped my review. Uh, Miss Lewis, uh, who is uh, Dr. Lucas now, you know, and uh, who got me to <laughs> got me to recite uh, "I Too Sing America," Langston mm -hmm. Hughes's poem. Um, this tremendous influence, and they were a variety of different people from a variety of different races and, and, and different backgrounds. Um, so building those relationships, Michael. What about you? Who, you know, what was that like moving to? Then moving to the North Shore, moving to Slidell as you left New Orleans East, which is, uh, you know, at the his time is very diverse. Sure. And um, even though we had moved to Slidell, um, we still went to the same church. So we, we would drive back to New Orleans East every Sunday. Uh, and so I, I went there to that church. It was called Faith Church um, out on the I-10 service road. Now I think it's uh, called City Church, I believe. Okay. It's in that building. Um but I, I went there all through my adolescence and quite a bit through high school. So I was, I was still exposed to that church family, which was uh, quite diverse. Um, but as far as school goes, uh, you know, my second grade teacher was Miss Goodley. She was great. <laughs> um, uh, but I, 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 too, was blessed to have some really fantastic teachers, um, at, you know, all through high school, mentors, people that really wanted you to succeed. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, I owe gratitude to, to all of them. And, uh, but it, it, for my experience, you know, from my recollection, overwhelmingly my teachers were white, the students were white. Um, and so it's kind of easy sometimes to just kind of forget that this default state exists and that you're just right. living in it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, if you turn on the television and you see a, a television show where every single character on that show is white, you might not think of anything of it, you know, because uh, <laughs> that's kind of a, 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 you know, at least in America, that's kind of a a, a default state right. that exists a lot We see it, And so that I was kind of living in a white default state um, and going to school in a white default state, which I I felt like I had a great education, um, and you know, it's who knows what I missed out on uh, right. because of that, um, but. You know, obviously, it wasn't my teacher's fault. Um, 
they were great. Right. But you still, the church also gave you experiences to interact with people of sure. different backgrounds. Um, so if you think about this, you know, I, I, I go back to my uh, three friends that I had, um, that, and we're still very good friends now, uh, very diverse. Who were, who were some friends that you had, you know, a, a friend that you realized at some point, hey, they're different. They're either a different SES, different, you know, different race, different gender identity, different gender. I mean, you know, you can tell gender very easily, but you develop this friendship. You know, can you describe what that was like? And, and then when you realize, hey, you're different, you know, what that was like for you as well. Do you have a recollection of a, of a person you developed a strong relationship with as you were growing up that you realized that person has a different background? And but, you know, we're cool and I'm learning. So for me, there were there, could, there were a multitude of people that were different. Um, I think for me, the one that stands out um, was uh, a good friend of mine, Edgar Mitchell. Uh, Edgar um, was an African American individual, uh, and we weren't we were middle class, but my parents had um, five kids, and my dad was the only one that worked. My mom was a stay at home mom, but my friend Edgar. Um, he came from, he was way poorer than we were. And uh, he, getting to know him initially was rough because I think one of the things that we identified, I also kind of felt like he might have been same gender loving as well. And by same gender loving, I mean gay. Uh, and so that was the first time that I saw someone who was like me but different from mm -hmm. me, uh, especially as it relates to um, uh, uh, financial demographics. Um, and so it that got me to seeing how things, because at that point I was just so consumed at, at that I probably was like thirteen, consumed with trying to see myself and understand myself. Mm, yeah, that's and so uh, when I was able to see that one, there was someone else who was likely like me, uh, but also that was poor. Mm -hmm. I got to, I mean, I think that was just a growing moment for me. I probably didn't value or understand it as much as that thirteen-year-old individual, but I was smart enough to take assessment of it to say. I think this person is like me, and but they're poor, and so uh, there were a lot of things that was happening in his life, in his family life, that um, I just was observing, and it just made me have a tremendous amount of empathy, empathy, and, and, for and that's for the word. those uh, the, his experiences, and it also helped me to understand that you know just because I am a black person doesn't mean that. I know everything that every black person goes through. I, I, I've walked, we've all walked in each other's uh, shoes. Uh, yes, we share some some level of sameness, but there is diversity amongst us, and we need to be aware of that and appreciative of that. Right. And I, so, for me, I think for me, uh, it going back to your question, um, that um, the, that awareness, that initial awareness, made me realize that. Though uh, we, many of us are alike, we have differences, mm -hmm. and it's important that we observe and see those differences because oftentimes people just say, oh, y'all all look alike, or just giving that mm -hmm. as an example. Right. You're, you're from the same area. You like doing the same things, and so that doesn't allow people to see the, in, the individuals that exist in that area. And so for me, that was the first time that I had an awakening about being different and seeing different because at right. that time I think I just assumed all black people were middle yeah, class to poor. Right, right, exactly. Micah? Um, yeah, just reflecting on this, um, I you know, just thinking about some of the folks I went to high school with. Um, you know, we had a couple same gender loving folks uh, in, in our class, but we, we didn't know it. Um, 
the at least I didn't. Uh, I guess some of the people that I went to school with had suspicions, but I didn't know it until um, undergrad or later when they came out. And, and I'm very close with a lot of folks I went to high school with. I get together with them almost every year. And, you know, they bring their boyfriends around, and we all love them, and we're very accepting of them. But they are very different. Right. And, um, you know, I, w- I would say a long time ago, before I got to where I am right now with religion, you know, I... I did have some, you know, uh, things that I had learned that, you know, caused me to have some challenges in, in having friendships with those folks. Right. Uh, but and, 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 and we'll get, you know, and we'll unpack that a little bit more as we come back from the break. You know, we're going to go into, you know, uh, five minutes of funk with uh, good old Houdini. This has been a great conversation here with uh, Dr. Earl Benjamin. Yeah, I'm giving it to you. And uh, my good friend, Micah Finch. Uh, as we talk about the importance of cross-racial and cross-cultural friendship. My brother's keeper revisited. Stay with us. Uh, in the next 30 minutes, we're going to get into how to build better relationships. Some think I'm soft just because I'm humble. So all you MCs, I hope you're real good listeners. Cause in this battle, I'm taking no prisoners. I'm slaying MCs right on the spot. Cause I'm the master of the rap, the doctor of the rock. The jack of all trades, the master of one. And the thing I master called having fun. We got three minutes left to rock this funk. To separate the good stuff from the junk. So get in the groove and feel the sound. And once you're inside, spread yourself around. From the bottom to the top, top to the bottom. Come on, man, we can get funky while we got it. Control of rats, mice, and commercial vertebrate pests requires much more than setting traps and placing poison bait in a desired area. Unless you eliminate food, water, and harborage, after blockage and structural exclusion, your problem will return. At Rodent Guard Pest Control, we are trained to change the environment of the rodent. Call 504-952-7378. We have earned our name by reducing the rodent population and eliminating harborage opportunities. We have programs for preventive maintenance and provide rodent assessments. Rodent Guard, 504-952-7378. Licensed to exterminate. For WBOK listeners, we offer a discount opportunity if you mention promo code 952-PEST. 
Universal Printing in New Orleans East is the place to go for all of your digital printing needs. Universal Printing offers a wide range of printing services and promotional products. They handle everything from business cards to personalized prescription pads. They even print yard signs, banners, and vehicle magnets. Stop by Universal Printing at 9900 Lake Forest Boulevard in New Orleans East near Reed. Or give them a call at 504-244-1177. That's 504-244-1177. Come on down to Universal Printing and let the experts handle all of your printing, marketing, and promotional needs so you don't have to. WBOK, 12.30 a.m., The People's Station. All right, we're coming back from the break. Five minutes of fun, man. You remember? You remember Houdini? I have to introduce uh, Micah to Houdini. You know Houdini? No. It's an '80s '80s rap group, man. I love them. Um, only had like four or five hits. Friends, Five Minutes yeah, of I Funk, The yeah. Freaks Come Out at Night. <laughs> I see you, Jazz. <laughs> the Freaks Come Out at Night. We were getting into a really good conversation, man. You're listening to the What's Your Revolution show. I'm your host, Dr. Charles Corpru, sitting here with Dr. Earl Benjamin and superstar attorney Micah Fincher. Micah, you, as we were coming into break, you were talking about um, your experiences with friends who were same gender loving, and I, I, I like that because we have, you know, it becomes, I think, derogatory how how we term certain groups, but I love that same gender loving, you know, and your walk through that. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Oh, sure. Uh, you know, growing up uh, in a well, all of my very close friends, uh, you know. Um, were heterosexual mm-hmm. when I was coming up through high school, and you know there was no worse um, name that you could be called than gay mm-hmm. yeah, right. or, or the f word. Yep. Right. You know, and um, unfortunately, I, I still know some people that still use those mm-hmm. words. Um, but uh, all the folks that I still hang out with on a regular basis uh, mm-hmm. in high school, um, you know, we've kind of definitely moved past that, and you know, very accepting of all the folks where they are, and just kind of bringing it back to what you were saying earlier about people finding their own truth. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's a, a long path for different folks, and I think now that we're all a little older and we've all, you know, taken our knocks and we uh, can appreciate that um, everybody's had uh, their own struggles, mm-hmm. uh, some more than others. Mm-hmm. And um, instead of trying to tear peop- each other down, you right. know, we're at a much better place to try to support folks. and. Right. We've got to, be, you know, as we said, we've got to be able to figure out where do we meet people? Where do we even meet ourselves? You know, and we had a great conversation during the break, you know, as I talk about my own walk mm-hmm. uh, as, as a heterosexual man um, and trying to find the healthiest version of myself. It, it is a long walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing in my walk is, is the development of, of strong relationship with men who are same gender loving um, or women who are same gender, lo- gender loving. And the interesting thing that we, we talked about over the break is that, you know, 20 years ago I was extremely homophobic. Yeah. You know, uh, if a man who was gay hit on me, I was ready to fight. You know, I actually had this conversation with a, a, a colleague of mine yesterday who's still kind of in that space. 
Um, and so we were talking about that. 20 years ago, I'm ready to fight. And now, 20 years later, I'm, I'm ready to sit and stand and fight and hold wherever my place needs to be in this fight. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where I need that's where I need to be. I want if I need to be as we talked about if I need to be in the front as a barrier, you know, mm-hmm. a, as a barrier using my heterosexual privilege mm-hmm. to be a barrier or do I need to stand in the back, you know, you know just and just to hold to be supportive. Right. You know, but the interesting thing, you know, and I want you to unpack that because it was a really poignant statement as we think about empathy, as we think about how to develop positive relationships with people who are different. You know, when you interact for men, and particularly for men of color, you know, when you interact uh, with gay men, there's this feeling like, are you going to hit on me? Mm-hmm. Are, you know, uh, you know, are you attracted to me? What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And what, what was the, the thing that you said was really poignant and really revolutionary in thought? So before I say that, I want to say that where you are now indicates that you are being your true and authentic self, mm-hmm. you and also Micah. Micah. Uh, because you're okay with having relationships with people that are different from you, in particular people who might be same gender loving or gay. And so the mere fact that you're able to articulate that, you know, I see them uh, as the individuals that they are and I respect them shows and demonstrates that um, growth. And also, it's a, it, for me, it's a direct uh, indication of off a person being authentic or living in their uh, truth. Right. Um, but one thing that I, as as, as a same gender loving or gay man, um, one thing that over the years that I've learned uh, or I have hypothesized is that oftentimes when uh, the issues that straight men have with gay men in particular, uh, it's it's an issue of being a fear that I'm going to be treated by this man like I treat women, right? Mm. And that's something that is wholly uncomfortable for many men, particularly in America, because we are groomed to be macho, macho men. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, all of us are groomed right. to be macho, macho right. men. Regardless and if you don't fall into that, if you don't fall into that line, you are different, you are an outcast, something is wrong with you. And so it, it, it's, a, it's a horrible place to put many of our uh, young boys or even older uh, men into because it forces them to see people a certain way. Right. It forces them to treat box. people. Right. It forces them to treat people a certain way, and it also forces them not to be authentic mm-hmm. themselves uh, when they know or feel like I shouldn't be treating someone like this. And so for me, it's uh, it, it's about um, understanding that. We are human beings, and when we get to that, I mean, and and it takes a lot for us to get to that point to understand that we are human beings, but if we are able to understand that, one, this is my brother or this is my sister, and I need to see them completely, I think we we can start to move in a direction where we create better places, better environments, a better world for everyone, and so... For me, that's how I like to live in, in, in my truth. That's how I like to experience my truth, by helping t- uh, to make the world a better place, by speaking that truth that I see uh, people exhibiting, but also being uh, standing up for what is right uh, when people are being ostracized mm-hmm. or cast out or right. being talked about. Because I'm a rather large man, and so <laughs> I, I may not be able – so I have to use all of my privilege to to change or rectify 
uh, or bring about justice in this world. Right. And so I try to do that. And so speaking that truth for me and identity and in articulating that I do believe that sometimes what we see happening with straight men and how they react to, to gay men, it's really about them f- being uncomfortable because, and fearing that I'm going to be treated like I've treated women. Right. That's an inter- and that is a very interesting hypothesis. Um, you know, and there's also that feeling that, you know, because someone is, is gay, same gender loving, that they're going to be attracted to me. Right. As we know as men, as heterosexual men, we're not attracted to everyone, nor is everyone attracted no. to us, no. right? Um, and so uh, when someone who's same gender loving, you know, says, hey, you're an attractive man, thank you. You know, that right. <laughs> because as we get older, <laughs> right. it gets less and less. It gets less and less. So I, regardless of who's telling me, hey, you know, you're an attractive man, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, and and you you keep it moving. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because it's sitting in your truth uh, and being who you are. So let's move a little bit longer. Um, you know, I'm sorry that my producer Rachel is not here with with us today. She makes the show go. So Rachel, if you are listening, <laughs> we miss you today. Um, and so in saying that, you're listening to WBOK 12:30 a.m. Uh, this is the What's Your Revolution show. Having this conversation about what it means to be in cross-racial, cross-cultural relationships. And, and we're going to move the conversation to how does that benefit our mental and physical health? You know, think about this. You know, we're sitting here, and this is a very diverse panel of people. What does that do for us mentally and physically as we go out into the world? Um, so uh, I'll just piggyback off of what y'all were just saying. First of all, y'all are very handsome guys. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so are you. They, so are you. With listeners that, with can't that, see y'all. With that, oh, they can see us. That gruff, that gruff look you got going got on. It, got it. Oh, you know. Well, I'm gonna. Um, I hope Kelly's. I hope Kelly's watching or listening today, because <laughs> she's always calling us pretty. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, the, from the, I guess the cross-cultural piece. You know, um, growing up in kind of a Protestant background been exposed to people that have different views than I was I was raised with. And, and so just to kind of step out from, it, you know, there's many types of diversity. Um, and you know, I've had the privilege of um, working with, you know, the dating and being close with lots of folks with lots of different religious perspectives and cultural backgrounds. And I think just like I was saying at the very beginning of this talk, if you approach those relationships from the perspective that you have something to learn from each one of them um, and you try to identify the best that they have to offer, um, I think that's that strengthens the relationship that makes a more fulfilling, positive um, interaction. And instead of focusing on the negative or the differences, you're focusing on those areas that you can uh, use and learn from them to improve yourself. Right, and we talked last night at dinner um, – about, yes, you know, phenotypically, we look different. Mm-hmm. Um, but we began to then talk about the common things, you know, what brings us together as friends. Sure. You know, our, our, our love of service, our, our love of uh, things around women's issues, particularly from a masculine perspective and how we fight from that perspective. Um, you know, a number of degrees sitting at the table, you know, all of these different things that brought, it, brought us together. Um, but still having conversations that allow us to say, you know what, hey, my friend, is, he, he wakes up black and male every day, and that allows me to understand more of what that's like. Um, you know, my good friends Ryan Mass and Chandler Nuda, who are Kellogg fellows, you know, at first didn't really understood, understand what it was like to wake up black and male every day. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and through our time together, they like, wow, but Chandler's Jewish. 
you know so understanding what it's like to be jewish ryan and um and his relationships with his family and and, and what's that's like you know particularly around religion and so that understanding and that empathy i think is key and strong as you develop these relationships earl what do you think about you know why is it and i want you to bring that science you know that science how do we benefit mentally and physically from having cross-racial, cross-cultural friendships and relationships? Well, we know that, you know, always being around the same, uh, even having sex with the same, living in the same communities with people with, who are the same, it, 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 it doesn't allow us to be our best. Mm-hmm. It doesn't allow us to uh, live up to our full potential. Uh, when we look... Um, uh, and, and I read about this uh, right before the session, but it's uh, falling out of my head as I speak. Um, so, but long story short, we know that the, the science indicates that when we are our most diverse, um, we are our best. We are able to produce more. We are able to think outside the box. Uh, and we are able um, to create a better world for ourselves. Examples of that can be seen inside um, the civil rights movement. Uh, where you had, of course, these are movements that were largely uh, led by African Americans, but they were led by other individuals who saw that there was some injustice mm-hmm. going on. Exactly. They saw that uh, the world could be a better place, and it was those multitude of people working together, many of them African American, uh, many of them also white, many of them Native American, coming together and working together to create a, a, uh, an America that was better, are moving in a better path. And so for me, I think it's important to, for what the science does indicate is that when we are diverse, uh, when we are, are uh, we can produce better products, we can think our best, we can become our best, but when we uh, remain the same and when we only want to be surrounded by individuals that are like us, uh, it limits our potential to be our very, very best. The other thing I want to just say, too, ahead, is the what I find to be the issue uh, in many of the issues that we, uh, we are hitting on today is that uh, and, and that keeps people from coming together and being That's together is the fact that, you know, we are not aware of our values, attitudes, and beliefs. Um, our values, attitudes, and beliefs come out of the culture that we live in. Mm-hmm. And so if we are not able to understand that I think differently about Micah because he is a white man and I have these preconceptions about him as a white man and I bring those preconceptions into my involvement with him, I need to be aware of that. If I'm not honest about that, if I don't have, if I haven't thought about it, if I haven't uh, come up with a counter plan to deal with it, I'm going to involuntary act to him based on what I've been taught or conditioned to believe about him. Right. And I think oftentimes what people don't do in navigating these relationships, they don't take that first step to understand, one, what their values, attitudes, and beliefs are about an individual. And as a result of that, involuntary just takes over. Mm-hmm. That and involuntary that says, tribe, right. I need to stick with right. my tribe. I need to stick with or stay with you. Those, th- those are them, and this is us. We need to stick together. And I th- for me, I think that's one of the issues that keeps us from uh, working together and mm-hmm. seeing people as, as whole individuals. Because I think people, at the end of the day, they want to be – uh, one, we're all human beings, and we all want to be appreciated. Mm-hmm. We all want to be, be seen. Loved. We all want to be loved. We all want to be valued. Um, but somehow, uh, uh, in America, what we've allowed to happen is, uh, well, not what we've allowed. A system has been created that has uh, put us into tribes of them versus us. And as a result of that, that, I can't see you as the human being that you are. 
you can't see me as a human being that I am. And that has created a lot of muck uh, in, what, in which we see today where we have a tremendous amount of disparities happening mm. to uh, Health, people. education. Yes. I, I just want to have a, a, say a couple things following up on that. You know, Before the show, Charles shared with me a link to uh, listen to the Natalie Burke episode, which Natalie is Burke. really awesome. Yeah. And, and Love her. When you were just speaking, uh, one of the things that she said uh, came to me, and, and it was, you know, we won't grow unless we're challenged. Mm -hmm. Got to sit in discomfort. What you were talking about when you said we become our best when we are in a diverse environment, you know, that's, if you think about it, you know, those environments where we're a little uncomfortable, that we are challenged, that's what's going to cause us to grow. We were and before the, the show, we were talking about working out. Mm -hmm. And you know you've worked out when you're, when it's, you're hurting <laughs> a little, when it's, yes. when it's a little right. painful. Right. That's, yes. that's how you grow. Yes. Um, and so, anyway, you're just saying, you're speaking to that issue. I was just thinking about how that connects up yeah. with uh, one of the other shows. No, Natalie's show is, is a, um, a tremendous work. And I love telling people about her work as a, the CEO of Common Health Action in, mm. in Washington, D.C. They do Natalie, good work. Yeah, they yes, do they a, work. amazing work. But Natalie really talked about, you know, sitting in that discomfort and, and, it's easy, you know, it's easy for me to go into the cafeteria. You've read that book, Why Do All the Black Kids in the Cafeteria Sit Together? Mm -hmm. It's easy for me to go look for, you know, a, a, another group of people that look like me because, you know, we've had these experiences, you know, depending on. It's safe. Yeah, it's safe. It's safe. You know, I, I remember going to, um, put myself there, going to yoga, right? Going to yoga for the first time. Got invited by a friend to go to yoga. And I was way, I was, I was hoping. Right, that there was another black person there. I'm like, please, I don't want to be the black only black person at yoga. Right, love yoga now. I don't really care who who's in the room now. But it was the first time I went. I was like, I, I needed to, I needed to feel safe. Yeah. Right, I needed to feel that. Um, and so we we do gravitate to that, but we have to be able to sit in discomfort. But some of that discomfort for us in different groups is because we've been marginalized. Yes. Um, and we need our friends of diverse groups to understand that marginalization. Yes. You know, to be empathetic, like so. To be able, as, as some people say, like Mike and I go into a space and Mike may say, Charles is uncomfortable. I may need to use my privilege here to ensure that he feels safe. Right. You know, and that may be just, you know, taking the lead and introducing yourself. This is my good friend Charles. You know, this is what he, you know, and saying, I know you may feel uncomfortable because you may be the only person of color in this room. Mm -hmm. or, or you may be the only uh, same gender loving person in the room. All these different things that the intersectionality that makes us who we are. Right. And we vacillate between privilege and marginalization, and we have to be able to use our privilege to make sure that the people who are in our lives in our lives feel safe and protected. And so we've got to be able to use that. So we, we've got about eight minutes left in the show, actually a little bit less. How do we form? You know, because like it's safe. It's safe for us to sit here and sit in my group. How do we form these new relationships? These new cross-cultural, cross-gender, cross-sexual orientation relationships with people? I mean, what do you do? Uh, in my experience, it's um, putting yourself out there. Mm -hmm. uh, don't just stay at home at night every night. <laughs> um, you know, volunteer for something. Um, uh, don't be afraid to uh, go out with your friends and introduce yourself to to people. And um, I mean, you, not everybody's as charismatic as you are. Hi, I'm Mike Fincher. Nice to see you. Uh -huh. so, uh, if you could find uh, a program where you you have folks that are gathering around common interests, mm -hmm. you'll soon find that um, there's going to be a cross-section of folks that may come from different backgrounds that have similar interests that you can expose yourself to and 
that's been my experience and you know doing the epno program was really great and met some incredible people that we continue to hang out with um and just that's how i've done it personally right, right. um you know i used to to um come to the table with a lot of preconceived ideas about people and my husband helped me to grow to stop doing that mm -hmm. and so i think uh and i spoke about this a little bit earlier i think it's important to really own identify assess what your values attitudes and beliefs are mm -hmm. uh and i think if you're able to start there you'll understand that your your perception of the world has been filtered by the culture that you come from and so what you think about someone uh, may not necessarily be the truth mm -hmm. And so by assessing your values, attitudes, and beliefs, you can begin to unravel or unpack um, the, how you treat people. Mm -hmm. You can begin to unpack how you've been interacting with people. And you might find that, yeah, I have been, uh, yes, I, 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 do, I am prejudiced. Mm -hmm. Yes, I am racist. Or yes, I am homophobic. Uh, but if, if, if you are genuinely concerned with, uh, and only if you're genuinely concerned with it, creating a better place, it's your responsibility to assess your values, attitudes, and beliefs. And then go seek out how. And, and seek out. Find those, like Micah said, go, uh, uh, don't sit in, in, in those comfortable places. Go and uh, seek out people. Go and seek uh, relationships from someone who uh, doesn't look like you, who doesn't come from your same experiences, and try to have empathy. I don't think we, uh, I, I learned this a long time ago, the world doesn't need us to have uh, s any more sympathy for people. What it needs from us is to have a tremendous amount of empathy. Right. Put yourself in someone's uh, shoes to see how they live their lives so that you can understand what's going on with them. You might be able to, to help improve their condition, and they might be able to help improve your condition as well. I gotcha, exactly. And one of the things I want to say is that as you're putting yourself out there, you can't be afraid of rejection. No, right? you, can't, right, you can't be worried about that. You can't be as you're growing because people who have not done their work, or you know, and we we bring a lot of things to the table, mm -hmm. and some people may not want you in their tribe, and that's okay. And that is okay. You have to accept that and be okay with that. That that is that is okay. But when you find genuine people who are willing to bring you in, and for you to accept them as well. You have the ability to unpack and build that empathy. I can understand that. I've heard your story. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's the biggest piece when you begin to unpack and, and be vulnerable. I must say, it, be vulnerable. I can hear your story. And that allows me to say, you know what? I'm, I can either stand up or stand back or do what I need to do. I need to hold a poster board, whatever. But I'm here with you. But in that, we have challenging situations where we may disagree. Good, you know, a good friend of mine yesterday we were talking about marriage, mm -hmm. right? And I don't want to get married, all right? I want to have a committed, loving relationship with a wonderful, beautiful woman, all right? And then die. And, <laughs> and then die, and, and we can have our child, you know, our, our, our child together. Okay. You know, a wonderful, beautiful, loving, caring, athletic, <laughs> you know, cross-fitting, uh, vegan woman okay all right put that out in the universe yeah exactly i don't have to throw it pretty far um <laughs> but you know totally lost that now because all i can do is think about that <laughs> you don't want to get married no uh, but you're going to have disagreements mm -hmm. you have to make sure that you can have disagreement with the people who are in your tribe the diverse group because you're going to think you think hey some people might think that you know trayvon was in the wrong mm -hmm. you know or that the the cop on black man violence you know 
uh, they may be on the other side. Mm -hmm. So how do you handle that? You know, quickly, just very quickly. How do you hand that, handle that discord as you're bringing yourselves together? Well, quickly. Um, not everyone. I, I, this just recently happened. I, ha I came to the understanding that everyone doesn't have the capacity to have those conversations, mm. and so there are some people you can't have those conversations with. And so I would only waste my time having conversations with individuals regarding those kind of changes who have the likelihood are, are more inclined to think about things differently. So I would say be mindful in, uh, with whom you choose your battles with. Okay. So for me, it's just understanding that not everyone has the capacity or the desire to see things from a different perspective. Michael, 15 seconds, brother. And when you find those people, um, try to listen. And yes. That's the, <laughs> there you go. And when you find those people, try to listen and try to listen to both sides. You're exactly right. Try to listen to both sides. We're getting that signal, you know, that it is time for us to wrap up uh, this wonderful show on how to build and how to maintain and how to foster um, cross-racial, cross-cultural, cross-sexual orientation, cross-whatever relationships with people because it lessens our stress, it, it, it lessens our anxiety, it allows us to build empathy. And for men, we need that because, you know, yes, we need we that. We need to understand what other men of other cultures are going through. So make sure you listen in every week, you know, to this wonderful show that we have that is about men and for the people who love them so that we, you can hear what's going on in our lives. Make sure that you pay attention to next week's show as we talk about, you know, the brothers behind the badge, as we talk about the impact of policing on boys and men of color. Look forward to hearing your comments on Facebook. Check us out at uh, Charles Corper or WI Revolution LLC. Uh, and always be able to answer the most provocative question of your week. What's your revolution? Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you.